But we are so glad that you are here. So good to see some special moms that I'm looking around and I'm seeing that you're, you snuck in on me. And uh, so thank you for being here. We're in a series talking about answers to life's biggest questions. Uh, we've talked already in the last few weeks about the question, is God real? And what does Jesus reveal about the existence of God? And then once we've established the existence of God, another question comes to mind, does God love me? How does he feel about me? What's his attitude towards me? And we, we realize Jesus came to reveal that as well, that God is real and God loves us. In fact, Jesus came into the world on an act of love to rescue us and to save us. And a third question that comes to mind when we think about life's biggest questions is this one. Is there life after death? Now, I know this seems like a strange sermon topic for Mother's Day, uh, but hang on, and uh, I hope uh, that by the end of our time today, you'll recognize that this is important for us to talk about on any day, but even on Mother's Day. Is there life after death? Now, this, this really is not a religious question. This isn't really a Christian question. It's actually a human question. Because it's, it's something that we all have to face up to at some time. We have to face our own mortality. As a matter of fact, you, you've heard the statistic, haven't you? It's been pretty consistent across human history. It doesn't really change. You know, it's not like the jobs numbers or your stock market. It, this statistic doesn't go up or down. It's pretty consistent. How many people born eventually die? Uh, 100%. Uh, it's pretty consistent. Uh, you know, it's just not a matter of if, it's when. And, and that doesn't uh, want you to be feeling like this is a morbid conversation this morning, but let's just be honest. We have to face our own mortality. One out of one people die. You've heard me say today, people are dying who've never died before. So it's kind of something that we all have to face. And there are people who have an answer, they think, to this question, is there life after death? Because really the answer is either yes or no. There's no middle ground. It's either yes, there's life after death, or no, there's not life after death. I remember one of the prominent atheists, evolutionary biologist, who is now deceased, Richard Dawkins, wrote the book The God Delusion. At his 80th birthday was asked the question, do you still maintain that this life is all there is and there is nothing beyond the grave? And he said, absolutely. That even though I am conscious of my own finitude, there is no life after death. Once I die, that's it. And basically, he said that it is a pretty selfish, arrogant thing to want a second life after this first one. So that's one way to look at it, that uh, there is no God, there is no rhyme or reason, there's no purpose to life, and that once you die, that's it. Game over. But what does Jesus say? You know, there are a lot of people in this world that get my attention, and I say, you know, I want to listen to them. I want to hear what they have to say. I think they've got a little bit of authority on this, or maybe they have some insight on this topic or this conversation, and I want to hear what they say. And I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. Jesus is that authority for me. And you've heard me say multiple times that if a person can predict his own death and resurrection from the grave and then actually pull it off, I'm just going to listen to whatever else he has to say. 
I'm just going to say, you know what? I think he's got some answers that I need to listen to. And on this topic of is there life after death, Jesus is very clear that yes, there is life after death. And we all know that this is an important question. Mother's Day may seem like an odd day to talk about this, but for some people, Mother's Day is a very difficult day. Uh, maybe their mother wasn't a very good mother. Maybe they didn't know their mother. Maybe their mother has passed on, and it's a hard day. I think it's important for us to talk about this conversation today. Maybe it's a family member or a friend who has passed on. It's important for us to talk about this question today. Or maybe you're facing your own mortality You're more conscious today than maybe you have been in the past because of some illness or sickness in your own life or in someone close to you, and you realize, I'm not going to live forever. What happens then? We need to know the answers to these questions. I'm going to take you today to John chapter 11, the New Testament Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 11, and we're going to look at a lot of verses today. We won't have time to read every single verse in this chapter, but I want us to go to a time where Jesus plainly answers the question, is there life after death? And he does it in such a way that transforms our understanding about life and death and what happens when we die and what we have to look forward to. In John chapter 11, you are probably familiar with this story. It's about the raising of Lazarus, his friend, from the dead. And I want you to see with your own eyes and hear with your own ears how Jesus addresses death in this moment. Look at John chapter 11, verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So these are siblings, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. They live in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And this man, Lazarus, is ill. And then we skip down and we read in verse 3, So the sisters sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now think about this. They're friends with Jesus. Jesus has stayed in this home before, and they send word to Jesus, your friend, the one you love, is ill. He is sick. And this is so serious. We are interrupting you and what you're doing because we think you need to know. And this is not just simply to inform Jesus. This was to ask Jesus to come and intervene in this sickness. Jesus We know you have power to heal, and we're asking you, come and heal Lazarus, our brother. And we don't have to remind you, you love him. And their their thought is, as soon as Jesus hears, he is going to pack his things up, and he's going to make his way to Bethany, and he's going to intervene in the life of Lazarus. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus says to his disciples and to the messengers, this illness won't lead to death. This is going to be an occasion for the glory of God. And the glory of God is a reference to the deity of God in Christ to be revealed in this moment. God is going to show up and show off in such a way that only God can get the credit for it. 
And people of honesty will have to admit God is at work in Jesus. And so he says, the Son of God may be glorified. That's why this is happening. But look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's interesting. John has to point this out. It is true that Jesus loves them. And the reason John has to point this out, because what Jesus does next doesn't look like love. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What do you mean he stayed two days longer? Don't you realize Lazarus is deathly ill, and Jesus, you love him, he loves you, you have the power to fix this problem. You need to come now and heal him. And we've all established that we love each other. You love us. We love you. Come on. Where are you? I can't tell you how many times in my ministry as a pastor that I have received phone calls telling me that someone is ill. And it is very clear that the expectation on the other end of that line is, Ricky, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, it's not as important as this. You need to drop what you're doing and get over here. Get to the emergency room. Get to the hospital. Get to the house. Because this is a very critical situation. And I can't tell you how many times I have done just that. Dropped everything. Walked away from family gatherings. Walked away from family vacations. Gotten out of bed in the middle of the night to make my way to the bedside of someone who's dying. Once we had a tropical storm and a hurricane off the coast of Jacksonville, and a family called me and said, you need to get here now. Mom's not going to make it. And I've been watching the news. This is like midnight. And they're talking on the news, we're about to close the bridges. And where do you think this family lived? On the north side. i got to get over the Dames Point Bridge. And so I drove over the Danes Point Bridge. Thankfully, the bridge was still open. I go off, I don't know if it was Heckshire or whichever one of those side roads. Trees are down. I'm driving off the road to get back to where I need to go. By the time I get there, our church member had passed away. Stayed with her family for a couple of hours. And on my way back, they were closing the bridge just after I passed it. I got past that just in time. I got home. The rest is history. Thankfully, no major damage to Jacksonville. But people said, you have lost your mind. Why would you go out in this kind of weather? I went because I loved that family. And I would rather have tried and been turned back than to have not tried. And them to say, where was our pastor when we needed him? So you think... If Jesus really loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha, that he would have dropped everything and left. But he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Okay, now it's time to go. And the disciples said to him, uh, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus Far be it from us to inform you or to remind you, but you do remember, don't you? The last time we were there, they tried to kill you. Anybody in their right mind would understand why you wouldn't go back to Judea, Jesus answered in verse 9. A very weird answer. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. 
But if anyone walks in the night, verse 10, he stumbles because the light is not in him. <laughs> and you can imagine the disciples going, uh, what? <laughs> We're talking about why you don't need to go back to Judea because they're trying to kill you there. And you're telling us what we all know. Yeah, there are 12 hours in the day. If you walk in the day, you're not going to stump your foot because you can see. If you walk at night, you're likely to trip or hurt yourself because you can't see things. What are you talking about? And they didn't get it. Jesus is saying, don't you understand? I am the light of the world. And there's a, an appointed time for me to do the work that God the Father sent me to do. And you need to be with me. And as long as you're with me and I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, you are safe. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can harm me. Until God the Father is finished with me in the work I've come to do. So that's what he's trying to do is tell them, you got to trust me. God's at work, and you're going to have to just trust even when you don't understand it. So verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The reason I want to go is our friend has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. There's no need to go and put your life in danger. And by the way, they just weren't brave enough to say, and our lives in danger. Because if they're trying to stone you, what makes you think they won't try to stone us? We have to define this. To be stoned uh, in that day meant something different than our day. It meant they're trying to throw rocks at you and kill you. And sometimes their aim isn't so good. They may aim at you and hit us. And so if Lazarus is sleeping... That's a good thing. That means his fever has broken. That means he's going to get better. He's going to recover. Let's not wake him up. Let him sleep. They don't understand Jesus is using sleep as a euphemism for death. In verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And it sounds like Jesus has been proven wrong. He said this sickness is not unto death. And now he's telling his disciples, I've delayed going to Lazarus, and now Lazarus has died. And then Jesus says something even more astounding, and it honestly sounds a little offensive at first. Verse 15, And for your sakes, I am glad that I was not there. I'm glad I didn't go. For your sake. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Let us go to Lazarus. Man, it's kind of sometimes hard to get your mind around. Jesus loves Lazarus, Mary and Martha. They love him. They tell Jesus Lazarus is deathly ill. It's really an invitation and a plea, come and heal him. Jesus says, this is not, sickness is not going to lead unto death. But then he says, I'm going to wait here for two more days. Oh, by the way, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. What in the world are you talking about, Jesus? This doesn't make sense. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there because you've got a belief problem. I'm glad I wasn't there because you need to trust me. I'm glad I wasn't there because you need to believe in me as the Lord and Savior of your life. I don't work on your timetable. You don't get to command me. I'm doing the Father's will in the Father's way on the Father's timeline. And when this is all said and done, it'll be for your good that I wasn't there. 
And by the way, I think that was not just for their sake, but also for our sake, because Jesus wants to teach all of us a lesson about death and life and how he handles this. Skip down to verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. We read later in verses 18 and following that that, uh, Martha comes out to meet Jesus. And Martha, I love how honest she is. Look at verse 21. John chapter 11, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd have been here. Have you ever felt like Martha? Lord, if you'd have shown up, this bad thing wouldn't have happened. Where were you? Now, you you look spiritual this morning, so you're probably not going to admit it, but I've asked that question. I've made that statement. I have felt that sentiment with Martha. Lord, if you'd have been here, if you'd have shown up like I prayed and asked you to do, I wouldn't be in this situation. I wouldn't be grieving. I wouldn't be hurting. I wouldn't be confused. I wouldn't be ridiculed. If you'd have just done your part, And she's saying, I know you've got power to heal. And if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But but she hasn't lost all faith in Jesus. Look at verse 22. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She said, "I, I don't understand why you didn't intervene in this situation for someone you loved and who loved you. But I still believe that whatever you ask of God, he does. You've got that connection. And then Jesus says to her very plainly in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And immediately she's thinking Jesus is giving her a a passage of scripture and a promise about the end times when time is no more and there's a resurrection of the dead, which the Jews believed and Jesus affirms. And she she says in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That doesn't help me now, Jesus. My brother's dead. I know that there's coming a day, we don't know when, somewhere way out there, when time is no more and God's going to raise the dead. I believe my brother will be in that number. And death will not have the last word over him, but it doesn't help me now. He's dead. He's buried. We're grieving. But yes, I do believe he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus, verse 25, said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus is making an astounding statement. And listen, he's claiming The power that belongs only to God. He is claiming deity. Martha, I'm not giving you a theology lesson about the resurrection at the last time. I'm talking about who's standing right in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not just a point in time. It is a person standing before you right now. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And to put it together, think about what Jesus is saying. I'll put it on the screen this way. When he says, I am the resurrection, he's then tying it into the fact that he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
and I am the life. Therefore, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So you put it together. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, and he who believes in me, like Lazarus did, though he may die, like Lazarus did, he shall live. And I am the life. And whoever lives and believes in me, like Lazarus did, shall never really die. Death for the believer in Jesus is not the end. It is a doorway into the presence of God. And you don't literally die. You physically die. But Jesus came to give you eternal life. Richard Dawkins said it is selfish of you to want two lives, this one and another one. Jesus says, I didn't come to give you two lives. I came to give you eternal life, life that never ends. And I'm the one that can do that because I'm the resurrection and I am the life. These are pretty audacious words, aren't they? To go around claiming you are the resurrection and the life. You better be able to back that kind of a claim up. Verse 27, she, Martha, said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She says, Jesus, there's a lot I don't get. There's a lot I don't understand. But I do know you are the one we've been looking for. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah promised to come into this world. Martha then goes and she gets her sister, Mary. Mary comes out assuming we're just gathering at the tomb of our brother to weep with Jesus. Look at verse 33, John 11, verse 33. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Our English translation doesn't do the Greek justice. When the Greek says that Jesus was deeply moved, it is a strong term in Greek language that was used to describe the snorting of a wild beast. And when it says Jesus was greatly troubled, it was used in the Greek language to speak of tumultuous waves on the sea crashing and the tumultuous rivers of water flowing on a, on a stream, crashing down on the rocks. Jesus is troubled. And why is he troubled? Is he troubled at the... the the indifference of his disciples as he troubled that Mary and Martha don't understand what he's doing and what he's up to. No, 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 no. No, he is troubled because he is in the face of death, the last enemy, and he hates it. He detests it. He's not troubled and angry at the people. He's troubled and angry at what death does to the people he loves. Verse 34, and he said... Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In the shortest verse in your Bible, John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. He wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Not everybody felt that way. Verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, uh, uh, Lord, 
by this time, there will be an odor. King James Version. Lord, by the time he stinketh. For he's been dead for days. What do you mean? Roll the stone away. No, he's dead. He's been in this, this cave for four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took the stone away. Jesus makes them do what they can do, trusting him to do what only he can do. So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, Jesus continues in his prayer, I knew that you always hear me, but, but I said this on account of the people standing around. And here's something important. John tells us this over and over and over in the Gospel of John, that the reason Jesus performs these miracles, the reason Jesus says what he says, and the reason John and his Gospel recorded these things is so that we might believe in Jesus. He says, I'm saying this, Father, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! I love what that old country preacher Vance Habner from North Carolina said. He's with the Lord now. But he said it's a good thing he called Lazarus by name because as the resurrection and the life, if he hadn't have called him by name, every dead person in the cemetery would have come out. Lazarus, come out. And verse 44 says, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Can you imagine this guy looking like a mummy coming out of that tomb? And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now, you need to know what Jesus did for Lazarus is really a resuscitation, not a resurrection. There's a difference. You see, a resuscitation of Lazarus meant Lazarus returned to the same mortal life he had before he had died, and he had to die again. Goodness gracious. He had to do it a second time. He had already died. Well, when he comes out of that tomb, he is revived to life, but he's still going to be facing death again one day. That's a resuscitation. What happened to Jesus on that first Easter morning was a resurrection. Lazarus came out bound in his grave clothes. The Bible says Jesus' grave clothes were folded up, laid neatly aside because he wouldn't need them again. Nobody had to unloose Jesus. He came out of that grave victorious. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, he faced a life and the prospect of death again. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he came out never to be touched by death again. He is the victorious, living Lord. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he promises, if you believe in me, though you die, yet shall you live. And if you live and believe in me, actually, you never die because you have eternal life. But one day he's promised to give us resurrection bodies just like his own body when he came out of the grave alive on that first Easter morning. It's the body that talks about, that's talked about in Revelation chapter 21 where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more death for those things will have passed away. No more. That's the funeral. 
we get to go to and we get to look forward to. I've told you, and I think sometimes people think I'm making it up. Over 800 times people have called me to say, I need you to do a funeral for my family member, for my friend, for your church members that you love. And I get so weary of hearing those words. They passed away. They passed away. That's our nice way of saying they've died and we're hurting and we're grieving They've passed away. But Revelation chapter 21 says there is coming a day when Jesus returns that the news will be declared throughout the universe. Did you hear today? Death passed away. Hallelujah. That is the day I'm looking forward to. But does that change the fact that today Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Not at all. And Jesus did this so that Martha and Mary... And Lazarus and all the people looking on would believe in Jesus. That they would trust their life to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. I cannot stand here today and tell you that if you put your faith in Jesus, you will never physically die. No one can tell you that. Atheists can't tell you that. But I can tell you on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who went to his own cross, went to his own tomb, and walked out three days later alive, that death is not the end. When you know Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, you know eternal life. That's why I quote to you almost every Sunday, John 3.16. It's not because I don't know any other verses. It's because it summarizes so much of what we need to cling to when life is hard and life is confusing, when we're sick and when we're hurting, when there's evil, when we feel forsaken, when we feel sinful, when we don't know what tomorrow holds. We just cling to John 3.16 where Jesus said, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Just yesterday, right here, I looked into the eyes of a grieving family as they mourned the passing of their dad, a daughter and a son. And his passing was sudden. And you know what they cling to? They cling to the fact that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that the Lord is going to come back one day. And when he does, he brings us with him. He resurrects our bodies And we get new bodies that will never die because he is the resurrection and the life. Trust your life to Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Some of you have already done that. He's your Lord and he's your Savior, but you're going through a difficult time right now. And I don't have anything easy to say to you. I just say the same thing. I'm a broken record. Trust your life to Jesus. Trust your future to Jesus. Trust your problems to Jesus. Trust your questions to Jesus. Trust all the unanswered prayers to Jesus. Trust when God doesn't make sense to you to Jesus. Trust your life to Jesus because he's the resurrection and the life. And I say to you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, trust your life to Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. To die without him is to die unforgiven and to stand before a holy God and to be lost because you've rejected the gift of his son that he gave you. He's not going to force you to receive Jesus. Jesus doesn't force these people to believe. 
As a matter of fact, this is the last miracle that he does when finally it seals the deal for the religious leaders of his day where they say, it's time to kill this man. We cannot let him keep doing this or everybody will believe in him. And they conspired to have Jesus killed. They also wanted to have Lazarus killed to shut him up. Can you imagine? It's not that they couldn't believe. They didn't want to believe in Jesus. Well, God will just show me proof. He's done it. And you've got the eyewitness testimony that said, this man is the resurrection and the life. I'm going to invite you to put your faith in him as your Lord and your Savior. Will you do that today? Dad, the best thing you can do for your kids is to trust Jesus. Mom, best thing you can do for your kids is trust Jesus. Grandparents, they need you loving Jesus, trusting him. Young people, you don't want to give your mom a gift today? It won't be the flowers or the cards, but when they know you've given your heart to Jesus, it's the best gift you'll ever give them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for Jesus. And today we choose to trust our lives to Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. And we can put our faith in him and trust him with everything else. And we thank you that as the resurrection and the life, when we put our trust in him, he forgives us of our sin and he gives us a gift, the gift of life that lasts forever in time and for eternity. Thank you for that precious gift where we can know that we're right with God and death will not have the final word over us. And even though we die, we really live because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this Lord Jesus is coming back one day and he will finish what he started. He's the first of the resurrections, but he won't be the last because he will do for us what he experienced on that first resurrection morning. So God, thank you for our faith in Christ. And I pray that right now, if there's someone who's never received Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they've never received this gift of forgiveness and eternal life by personally trusting in Jesus, that this will be the moment for them. Could be someone in this room. Could be someone watching online. It could be someone listening to this days, weeks, months, years later. I pray that right now, wherever they are, they will stop and they will say to you, Dear God, I am a sinner, but I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for Jesus, your son, sent into the world on a rescue mission of love. He exchanged his perfect life for my sinful life. He died my death and he rose from the dead on the third day. And there's a lot I don't understand, but I know this. I'm a sinner. He came to save sinners. Save me. I trust in Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. And I take him at his word and I receive the promise that I have eternal life. Help me to learn more about Jesus and to live for him in the days ahead. But thank you that I can know there is life after death. It's an eternal life. It's a relationship with God through Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. Today I trust my life to the resurrection and the life. I trust my life to Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.